I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello, Koshi here. Before we get into this episode of The Call, I've got a favor to ask. The bigger the Ausbiz audience, the more we can invest in great content and keep providing quality investment ideas to you for free. If you could just take a minute of your time to leave a review of the call in the Apple Podcast app, it'll help keep our tribe growing. And of course, don't forget to catch up with all the best interviews each day at ausbiz.com.au. Thanks for listening. Enjoy the call. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the afternoon here on Ausbiz. We always kick off the PM with the call 10 stocks uh, that you've suggested uh, for analysis. We put it in front of our expert panel for their consideration to give you a bit of direction. It's always a lot of fun and I guarantee absolutely informative. And uh, joining us on the panel today, John Milroy from Ords. John, good to see you. Thank you. Welcome to the call. Thank you. Um, how are you? Uh, have you recovered from earnings season? I think we've caught our breath by about now, David. I mean, it's certainly a pretty heady uh, four weeks, as always, and, yep. and certainly a lot to get through and to digest. So. How, how did you judge it? Well, from our perspective, we thought it was pretty good. You know, right. we, we thought that the balance sheet strength of most of the companies that reported was, you know, outstanding in terms of where they're yep. placed with certainly the earnings numbers, are, you know, where they, we thought they might have been six months ago even, you know, are really quite, quite um, good. Right. So we're overall... Um, keen on the market broad, broadly and and certainly the the banks were you know not just the um, CBA result but all the banks and their cash numbers yep. were certainly very encouraging as were you know the other leaders like the resources yeah good it's encouraging isn't it mm. that we're, we're coming out of this in pretty good shape mm. when ending good shape coming out mm. both corporate and economic wise uh, up with John today on the expert panel our favorite Queenslander as <laughs> I call him Andrew Whelan from DP Wealth Advisory morning Andrew Koshi, I'm trying to get that on my uh, business card. Do you mind if we trademark that, you know? David <laughs> Koshi. Is that all right? Can we put that on there? Would that be okay? How are you, mate? How's, um, oh, what's the feeling of clients at the moment? Yeah, they're, they're pretty upbeat, and I'm sure it's the same as John. You know, mm. there's certainly plenty of inquiries at the moment, which perversely is probably a bit of an amber flashing light for me. <laughs> um, you know, from a business point of view, it's great, but from a, a market's perspective, the more people that are interested and the more I hear about Reddit and uh, and so forth, the more concerned I become about the general market and that frothiness. But uh, yeah, clients are certainly optimistic. And again, why wouldn't you be? If, uh, as John was saying, profit reporting season wasn't too bad. Plus, if I've got money sitting in cash, you know, I've been struggling to get half a percent or I lock it away in a term deposit, I might get a smidge more. Um, people, especially, you know, what are there, 2.2 million self-funded retirees out there? They can't live on that. Yeah. Uh, now, whether it's the appropriate attitude to risk or not, that's a whole other story. But in the context of return, cash is not where it's at. So that's certainly, that's why property is doing well, obviously, as is our equities. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, those economic growth uh, numbers yesterday, I'm just saying to, to John before we came on air, it's it's households which are driving the economy both with consumption and also savings rate um, up a huge amount. So, so the government went hard, 
they went early, flushed the money through the economy, which we did the right thing and, and spent it or saved it. Yeah, 100%. And you're right, 70% of the economy is driven by uh, consumption. So if, uh, I mean, I know we haven't quite got all those jobs back that we lost uh, at the beginning of the pandemic, but we've certainly made some pretty good progress there. So people are, are feeling uh, happier with the world, certainly from dealing with the pandemic. You know, I think Australia and New Zealand have done incredibly well and now getting the vaccine. So pl again, plenty of reasons to be optimistic, not only from an economic growth point of view, but from a market point of view, but as a market watcher, yeah, I wouldn't mind a decent 10% correction perversely because that will just flush, it, flush out some of that hot money yeah, yeah. and uh, we can, it's a good base. Whereas if it just sort of keeps on doing this, yeah, yeah. Uh, we're, we're going to get a bigger crunch and we're not into bigger crunches, you know, we just like yeah, little yeah. sort of intermediate ones. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. you're a bit like me, you've got a little watch list on, um, on a pullback to get into a decent price. All right. Let's start getting into uh, the stocks we're going to look at today, as well as your 10 stocks. I always come up with a stock uh, stock of the day, uh, a company in the news, and uh, Maya. Remember them? <laughs> the old retailing institution. Boy, have they been outshone by a lot of the rest of the retail market. Uh, Maya reporting first half uh, of flat earnings, but a decent bump in uh, for. Um, half net profit, the retailer managing to offset reduced foot traffic with a strong season of online sales. Uh, online up over 70%, make up 20% um, of Myers total sales. Chief Executive John King saying the results reflect Myers' new status as one of the country's biggest and fastest growing online retailers. That's a big claim. Um, while uh, five straight halves of cost cutting has left the balance sheet in improved condition. Andrew Willem, what do you, what do you think of the Maya result and, uh, and the stock itself? Oh, gosh, it was up a pretty low benchmark with due respect, so uh, it probably couldn't go too much worse. Uh, and I, I note uh, when I got it through this morning, I hadn't seen anything from Solly Lou. Solly Lou, of course, an aggrieved major Maya shareholder. He's, uh, I can't remember how much Solly paid, John. It was about a dollar or something, dollar thirteen. Sounds familiar, yep. So, yep. Yeah, so, you know, he's obviously not a happy little individual, but you're right, Koshi, the result was great on a few fronts. That, that cash position is now up to 200 million because obviously they had some debt concerns, so getting cash in the door is good. That uh, increase in online sales, as you said, Koshi, 21% now of, online, of sales are now online. Our fifth consecutive quarter of cutting costs. So, you know, they're doing all the right things. But ultimately, it really comes down to, and we are just talking about COVID before, what has that done relating to people's desire to go into a shop? Uh, or are they happier shopping online from the comfort of their comfy chair and iPad? And that's really where, if I've got 50, 60, 70 stores nationwide, I mean, I don't want to see people lose their jobs. That's not the message I'm giving you. But if yeah. the consumers are basically stepping away from that, so. Koshi, I'm not a big Maya fan. It's great that they're turning it around. I think there are better retailers out there. JB Hi-Fi immediately springs to mind. But uh, yeah, let's uh, grab your popcorn and wait for Solly Lou's comments. Would be yeah, my okay. <laughs> That's right. He's always entertaining, that's for sure. Uh, John, what do you think of the Maya result? Yeah, a bit similar to, to Andrew, really. I think you know we've just recently ceased coverage of the stock, sadly. I don't think any other reason than just a stretch wow. resource base or across the analysts, really, I think is probably the main reason. But it seems like they're always... Gee, that's, a, that's interesting. When, mm. when a major group like Ords uh, stops covering Maya, as you said, Solly Lou got in about a dollar. It's now 29 cents. It's shrunk. 
And as Andrew was saying, there's a lot more to cover in the retail sector, isn't there? Yeah, there is absolutely. There's much, yeah, yeah. More, much more appealing businesses, yeah. much better shaped businesses. They seem to be perennially restructuring themselves since John King has come to the business. Yeah. Another five-point plan or another five-step plan to try and improve their outcomes. The costs are important to drag out of the business. They're clearly reducing their footprint across all the major um, department stores and, and giving up floor space through the likes of the Westfields and wherever else they may operate yep. as well. So Andrew's right, they're doing some of the right things, but clearly getting the knowing your customer, getting the, the right things that customers want to buy into the mm. store and or online um, is, is, is key to them and that's how they improve their business. And, and gee, when, you, when your business model gets out of date mm. and you start being challenged, particularly in this day and age, unless you move quickly, you're going to get stuck, aren't you? You're, mm. going, to get, you're yep. going to get overrun in the stampede. I just get that feeling that that's what, what Meyer... Yep has happened to them, it's yep. going to be so hard for them to claw it back. Mm. Oh, and absolutely, you can refer back to what's happened to David Jones as well, now yep. owned by the South African group, Woolworths. So, so similar story for them, it's a big traditional business, big floor space, big footprint, yep. need people through the door, the till's ringing, yep. and when that doesn't happen, it's really hard to turn around. Yep, absolutely. All right, there we go. Our stock of the day, Maya. Let's get into uh, the stocks you've asked us to have a look at. And Robin wants a view on Illumina, um, the largest Illumina and bauxite producer in the world. Um, it's the old demerged uh, Western mining business. Um, they're in bauxite mining, Illumina refining and uh, smelting operations. Alcoa, of course, is part of it. They have a big stake in the Portland aluminium smelter in Victoria. Um, John, what do you think of Illumina? Yeah, it's an exciting hold for us, Dave. It's, it's, <laughs> it's really not one that uh, comes to the top of our list. Valuation's about $1.90 or so on the stock, so a bit, bit higher than where it is at the moment. Right. Still, you know, while, while the rest of the base metal prices have all had a, a cheery time, aluminium has similarly cheered up too. But, yeah. uh, but clearly the, the thing that hurts these businesses most of all is the fact that it is a high-cost business, particularly right. with the amount of energy it has to, to use to go into the business to produce what can sometimes be, depending on prices and outcomes, a little bit marginal as well. So for us, it's right. a, a preference would be the likes of the clearly much better performed businesses, BHP, Rio, Fortescue, right. South 32, those types and, of things. And, and because uh, people may not know, aluminium smelting just chews up electricity, yep. doesn't it? Yep, sure and does. if power prices are going up, yep. it, it gets, they get absolutely smashed on the cost side. Yep. And there doesn't seem to be, I know there's talk of hydrogen, um, and using renewables in steel and aluminium, but that's a little way off that sort of cutting edge at the moment, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. And getting the, the plant transferred to those new technologies as yeah. well is a big, expensive process. And yeah. I'm, I'm not the techn technology person to tell you how that works, but we do know that that is something that would take a lot of work to do and be very expensive to, right. to run through the system. So that's probably some way off for them. Okay. Even when electricity prices are probably moderating a little bit at the wholesale level, still doesn't really help them terribly much. Uh, but if you're in it, you're still saying a hold? It's a hold. Okay. Yeah. Dividends, right. okay. Yep. Andrew, what do you think of Illumina? I've missed John's pithy comments and exciting hold. I, I'm going I'm I'm to use that one. Thanks, mate. That's great. Um, Anytime. And, and, thank you. Thank you. Uh, checks in the mail. But if you, but I think there's there's a reason, you know, why it's an exciting hold to borrow John's parlance. And if you're looking at the most recent uh, update that the company put out, and you were just talking before about sort of the uh, intensive nature of the business, they spent a lot of time talking about ESG, talking a lot of time about, you know, trying to sort of get mm. their carbon footprint down. 
that's a really big thing coming not only in retail land around ESG, but in particular in the institutional land as well. And that's going to be a big uh, issue for them because if you have a look at their average cost of production, they've been able to reduce it by from about $210 a tonne back to about $200 a tonne. But the average price that they were getting for their product back in 2019 was $336 a tonne. It's wow. now back to $268 a tonne. So you've been able to reduce your cost by about 5%, but the average cost of selling your stuff has actually fallen by, what's that, about 20-odd percent. So that's not a great business to be in. And there's lots of reasons for it. COVID's obviously the main one, but um, I just don't want to be in a business where they're doing that. It's trading under consensus, but that's probably one of the main reasons why. The other reason, Koshi, would be that A dollar. Uh, every one cent move versus the US dollar is positive or negative $21 million to EBIT, regard, dependent upon which way the dollar's going. And as we know, the dollar's on a bit of a tear at the moment. Yep. So that's doing them no favours. So, yeah, it's a hold. Okay. All right. Uh, a hold for uh, Illumina, from, Illumina there from both John and Andrew. Um, Andrew Tom, one of our viewers, wants a view on Blackmore's. Uh, natural health company, um, naturopathic scientific research into herbal and mineral nutritional supplements, uh, was a darling of the Australian share market for so many years under Christine Holgate. Um, uh, Marcus Blackmore, of course, is the, the biggest shareholder and chairman, uh, grew enormously into Asia and China, and then the flaming trade war started. The flaming trade war. Sorry, I was just looking at my watch to seeing what the time was. I, I haven't got my Cartier watch though. Um, but no, look, she, she did an amazing job and the share price was $200 plus a share. And, yep. uh, you know, did incredibly well. Sadly, not so incredibly today, as we can see there on the Gotham chart. It's about 76 bucks at the moment. And over the last uh, sort of, what's that? Yeah, the last five years, it's lost 12% per annum uh, total return. If we give that some context, if you just put money into the ASX 200, bought an ETF, there I go, uh, it would have been up 10% per annum. So, you know, that's a fairly big difference between the two. Um, obviously, they've been impacted by COVID because people haven't been able to go out and shop as much, but you could equally make the argument that why wouldn't they just go and buy the stuff online? And you referencing Coffee Koshi, that sort of um, healthcare space, one of their big selling products was cold and flu supplements. So as we know last year, because we were all locked up and we all had great hand hygiene, cold and flus was virtually a non-event. So that's really impacted their business as well. And the other really important thing that you touched on Koshi was sort of that Chinese um, space. And uh, you know, 20% of their business is coming from China, and we've got all the tom-toms banging relating to trade wars, etc. And we've seen certainly the big impact, in particular on say Treasury wines. Um, yeah, look, it's another underwhelming business. Return on equity is 3%. Its profit margin is one and a half percent. So yeah, it's a hold. Okay. All right. Um, John, what do you think of Blackmore? Yeah, similar for us, David, it's, it's a hold uh, target price about $75 or so, so not terribly far again from where yeah. it is trading around today. Andrew's touched on, the, on the, some of the high points and some of the low points. You know, clearly the, the, the leverage to China is, remains for them. And while they have some terrific brands and, and you know, some terrific products, COVID certainly has hurt them through the, the difficulty in getting some of those products through the distribution channel and getting them to, to other different markets. 
they've improved a little bit in the international space, not just China, which is ticking up a little higher for them, but, but margins are the key thing which are really, really hurting them at the moment. You know, right. some of the pricing, the, comp the competitors around the likes of Swiss, for instance, and you know, certainly are not doing them any favours, and some of the other brands which become more niche, if you like, uh, but, but certainly, um, you know, like the brands, like the story, but mm. probably, you know, it's not really cheap enough to bang the table on for us. Okay. Mm. So why have you got it as a whole? Let's, uh, let's look at the chart here, sure. the five-year chart, and I'll put it to you as well, um, Andrew. If you were looking at this, so you're saying um, don't get into it, but if you're in it, hold it. Why would you hold it if it's done nothing for two years? I think part of the answer would be that because it is at a flat point here, the potential is they do improve the business and do improve some of those metrics which are so key to them improving right. likes of margins and profitability and those types of things. So, you know, we don't think it's going to fall too much further in terms of right. what, what it's so fairly you're at valued the at. More, more or less, yeah. Suffered all the pain you can suffer. Pretty much, yeah. And with the ability to have some significant upside, should they get it right and, you know, the market's improved for them internationally and, and domestically too and COVID right. and we all start getting sick again, as Andrew says, with cold and flus. Yeah. Um, but you, you don't think it will, otherwise you'd have it as a buyer at the bottom of the market. That's probably that's probably a fair reflection, I'd say. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Andrew? Yeah, thanks, thanks for the question on notice, Koshi. Uh, I, uh, I, oh, no, I'm just... Because you've got, you've got two... You haven't been excited about Illumina, haven't been excited about Blackmores, and you've both got a hold on it. Oh, Koshi, we, we haven't got through all the list yet, mate. We haven't got through right. all the list yet. But to answer your question, why wouldn't I buy it? Well, I'm again, as you know, I'm the boring ETF guy, and I've just said I could buy a sure. basket of the top 200 companies and have basically done double the return what you got off Blackmores. But I'll play devil's advocate. If you believe management, and with due respect to Blackmores management, you know, they've got to sort of lift their game a bit. But if you believe what the market's expectations based on the sort of the guidance that Blackmores management are giving, profit, revenue rather, should go up about 78% next year and the following year up a further 44%. Ah. So, you know, like the outlook is positive, but to John's point, you're being asked to pay 42 times earnings for that positive outlook. So, you know, it, I'm sort of straddling the barbed wire fence here, basically yep. saying, yes, they could get their act together because of the earnings outlook, but the flip side is you're asked to being paid double, two and a half times the market multiple, on balance, that's why to hold. Okay, good explanation. Thank you for that. Tom, uh, good discussion there on Blackmores. Uh, John James wants a view on one of our regional banks, Oswide Bank. Um, basically, it's been a bit of a Queensland roll-up of credit unions, hasn't it? Yep. And uh, under the Oswide um, banking licence, I can remember the old Oswide property trust <laughs> years and years ago. That's a blast from the, the 80s and 90s. Um, but Oswide Bank, totally different organisation. Uh, principally in regional and metropolitan Queensland, got offices in Sydney and Melbourne. Yeah, I don't think the uh, regional aspect of the business does them any harm particularly, yeah. I mean, even though they're obviously much smaller than the, the, the larger counterparts which you've heard from recently. I think yeah. generally for the sector though, you'd have to be really po positive on these types of groups. We don't research it, so I can't give you a, a formal recommendation. But right. but I think though the drivers for these, these groups remain 
uh, the same as for the big groups, and that is, of course, improving things like the key metric of net interest margins as interest rates go up. The market's been fretting about that in the last last two weeks or so, yeah. but that's really good for the banks as that curve steepens and certainly allows them to, to charge more, first of all, and make more money on what their wholesale funding costs are. Now, Oswider clearly is, is much smaller than all of that, but, but yeah. notwithstanding, some of those key drivers are there. You've talked about the consumer on the way in. You know, clearly that's going to help them, those, those consumer loans as, as households get more confident as well and certainly things like having higher savings levels these banks tend to make more money on those deposit rates as well as the you know those right. rates increase increase too so yep. it allows them to have che- cheaper funding and allows them to lend money right. at a, a higher margin re- how regional banks stacking up against the big four i think i'd have to say personally when i'm talking to my clients i'm, I'm preferring that the big four because right. I, I can i can see where the improvement comes i think that you know they don't have some of those difficult leverage so they have more leverage in terms of you know managing their back book and repricing their back book. Right. They have much more power in terms of you know getting lower levels of wholesale funding and of course therefore improving their margins. And of course they've got terrific balance sheets at the moment. Lots of um, capital, yeah. well placed in terms of the over the last twelve months rolling back some of those non-performing loans or p- yeah. or loans that are on hold in, in terms yeah. of repayments. But certainly that's the same dynamics apply to these smaller groups as well. Okay. All right. Um, now, do I dare ask a, <laughs> ask a Queenslander about a Queensland company? Do I automatically put it down as a tick? Queenslander. <laughs> well, they sponsor the, uh, the State of Origin team as well, so surely that in itself means that they're a buy. I mean, we don't really need to go into any <laughs> fundamental analysis, surely. Uh, look, everything that John said, plus uh, headquarters in Bundaberg, so, you know, we love our regional Queensland businesses. 71% of their business comes from Queensland, but obviously the flip side to that is the where you're more exposed to sort of that ag cycle as well. So if agri is not going so well because of the broader implications to the, the towns in which or the, the regions in which they operate in, but they've got a great NIM, as John was just talking about, that net interest margin is about 2%, so that's pretty strong. Mm. Uh, grew their deposits by about 10%, which was really surprising considering we were just lamenting how ordinary bank interest is at the moment highly reliant upon mortgage brokers so that's a positive and a negative the broker jo- brokers obviously help them expand their offerings but the flip side is that if the brokers suddenly just think that the cba's got a better product or macquarie's got a better product that's a bit of a disadvantage um i like the fact the ceo's been increasing their holding over the last 12 months and it's trading under valuation so koshi it's a buy however uh i'm with john you know like I would actually be more inclined to buy like MVB, so that's an ETF that basically covers all four banks, Macquarie, Bendigo, and also BOQ, not so much those last two, but you're getting that broader banking exposure for all the reasons John just spoke about. Non-performing loans are improving, net interest margins are on the rise, economy improving, so therefore people have a greater uh, demand for credit. What what was that ETF again? M for Mary, V for Victor, B for... Bob, bravo. Right, right. So, okay. bravo, thank you very much. So MVB, um, but one other thing briefly, Koshi, I think what you're going to find with regional banks and not just ABA, but a number of them, there's going to be increased uh, pressure for them to be merging from either a compliance point of view or a cost yep. efficiency point of view. So I, I'd sort of ABA would be one of those ones that are potentially in that sort of space as well. Yeah, uh, I was fascinated with the Reserve Bank um, response on, on Tuesday, their wording. No problem with the housing boom at the moment and the boom in home lending um, on the back of lower interest rates and the Reserve Bank encouraging us to borrow, saying they'll keep official interest rates at these levels till 2024, which I'm 
not sure they can keep, but you can see their plan because they said, but banks still have to be responsible for their lending. So they're going, yep, interest rates are there. Banks, you do our dirty work by GP, just keeping your control on it. So uh, I think you're right. There could be more of that coming around the corner. All right, let's go to our uh, next stock. And Andrew Leslie wants a view on Rural Funds Group, which is basically a REIT, isn't it? What do you call it? A real estate investment trust, but is in agricultural property and they... Uh, lease it out for orchards and cattle properties. They've also got some cattle rights into it. Yeah, spot on. It's it's basically, um, I think John is mature as I am, if I can be so delicate. <laughs> you know, we used to call them listed property trusts, but uh, the newfangled term is now REIT. And you're right, it's actually focused in that agri space. And REITs haven't really been a fun place to be over the last 12, 18 months. Um, especially in particular concerns around commercial leasing, etc. But this is an interesting one because, as you said, Koshi, it's got exposure to uh, almonds, macadamias, um, vineyards, cattle, water rights. Uh, 61 properties, average lease expiry is around 11 years, exposure to New South Wales, Victoria and also South Australia. The yield's not too bad either, but 4.8%. And it's trading under consensus, not by much. Consensus is about 252. They're trading at 234. MD has been there forever. Uh, 1997 owns about 5% of the company, about 36 million bucks worth. Mm -hmm. So you can certainly be safe to say that his interests are well and truly aligned with unit holders. So I, I don't mind it. This, the, probably the only thing is the charts looking a bit ordinary the last few days or last couple of weeks. But again, that's coming back to that rising bond yield uh, story whereby you know, these REITs are all under pressure as bond yields start going back up again. But yeah, look, I don't mind it. For someone looking for income with sort of defensive assets and that long um, uh, lease expiry, yeah, it's not too bad at all. Probably the one uh, concern would be that if any one of those industries were to start coming off cattle or, and because cattle prices at record highs, as an example, that's an issue for them. But for the time being, it's a buy. Okay. All right. John? Yeah, I think it's an interesting business. We don't sadly have any coverage or, or no recommendation for it, of course, but you can see from the chart in 2019, it was un unfortunately belted by a, a short seller's report. Um, I can't think right. of the, the group's name now, but they happily recovered from that. They managed to get a, a settlement out of court and, again, and charges and, and costs against the, the group. Um, but Andrew's right, it is an interesting and very different business compared to what else yeah. we see across the market. So pays a decent dividend. Um, I think you know there's, there's lots of things to like about it. Okay. But, of course, the caveat being the, the exposure to some of these cyclical industries yeah. and, and agriculture we know can be terribly difficult. In, in some and it is cyclical. Um, uh, rural is coming out of the drought in many mm. areas of Australia. Yeah. And I suppose if you want exposure to the agricultural sector, you've probably got this, you've got elders. Um, AACO. AACO is is sort of directly in mm -hmm. cattle, whereas elders is more, a bit more diversified. Um, how would elders stack up to this compared I with it? haven't really did elders for a very long time indeed, but, but clearly yeah. with the, the improvement, as you mentioned, with the drought certainly doesn't do them any harm, certainly helps the, the profitability yeah. of the business, you know, selling more, more of what they have to sell to farmers who have, now have more money in their pocket courtesy yeah. of the high cattle prices and high yeah. wheat prices and higher production, those types of things. So yeah. you'd have to think the current conditions are quite positive for them. Yeah. Andrew? Yeah, I like elders a lot. Um, good business it's a buy for that sort of and because it's so diversified across the range of things that it does yeah the services almost like a offers. rural etf isn't it an ag etf <laughs> <laughs> it's got everything oh, 
Mate, you, you've got religion. I got you there. It took me 12 months, but I got you there. That's right. <laughs> All right. Let's, um, Chris now, speaking of ETFs, um, John, Chris wants a view on the ETF Physical Gold, the uh, G-O-L-D, which uh, for all the gold bugs, not pretty well. Now, this is, this is a pure play into physical gold, is it, this ETF? I fear I may be treading on Andrew's toes here as the <laughs> ETF guy, but uh, I think you know, clearly um, gold for us is an interesting area, particularly if we've been talking a bit about inflation interest rates, of course, and what that means for them. The gold price has you know, suffered a little bit in the last um, several weeks or so, or months, um, but notwithstanding that, we continue to like some of the stocks in the sector, principally, right. principally because they've got that um, Aussie dollar cost, cost base and the US yep. dollar receipts, of course, that certainly helps them. Um, yep. I think there's room for gold in most portfolios for most clients, it's a good hedge. Um, I wouldn't necessarily look at an ETF, or, um, although this one's a bit unique in terms of its exposure to the platinum group metals as well. Um, but you know, I think I'd, I'd prefer a pure equity for mine. Okay. The likes of Evolution, not our top pick, but I really like management, really like the ground position, right. good cost control, you know, mm. good assets. Okay. Andrew, what do you think of G-O-L-D? Sacrilege Milroy. No <laughs> ETF. Can someone manage him off the, the set? Seriously. No, it's, um, look, I, uh, I don't mind it, um, but I think John said something really salient there when he was talking about that um, Aussie dollar and the hedging piece. This is unhedged. So one of the reasons why it's under a bit of pressure at the moment is because obviously the dollar's not moving in its favour. If you're sort of looking for something which is, so sorry, we should take it back a step. So what, what does gold do? So basically owns, as the name suggests, gold. But in this particular instance, this ETF, it's a bunch of gold bars sitting in a vault in London. So from that point of view, if you're looking for physical gold exposure, but you don't want to go to your favourite gold bullion dealer, and actually have a physical gold bar that you've either got to stick under your bed or have in a vault, then this is the product for you. If you're looking though for that hedged exposure, so you like the thematic but you're a bit worried about the hedging, then there's another one, PM Gold is the code, and that's the Perth Mint. Uh, both of them are interchangeable for gold. So in other words, you can, if you have it, and I can't remember what the ratios are, but you can actually say, once I've got a certain number, I can actually go and uh, get a physical gold bar. In the case of the one that we're talking about, GOLD, Every time you put in one of those redemption forms, they want a thousand bucks. So it's actually probably going to be cheaper for you just to trade these on market. But certainly right. the PM gold, if you physically want that redemption thing, that's important. Um, I, th I agree with John. If you like gold, but you're looking for a higher leveraged exposure, you'd actually then just buy a gold company. And interesting, he notes Evolution. I like Evolution too, or the sort of merged Sarazen Northern Star, mm. or the other one. Dare I mention another ETF, GDX. <laughs> so basically, GDX basically owns all the, the major gold miners. So that might be another way of playing it as well. But to John's point around having gold in your portfolio in this environment, yes. But we do need bond yields to settle down because as bond yields are going up, people are saying, well, I don't earn any income off gold, so why would I buy gold? But once those bond yields settle down, then I think you will find the gold price will improve okay. a bit as well. All right. Okay, Chris, some really good direction there from uh, from John and Andrew. Let's uh, just recap the first five uh, stocks so far with our stock of the day. Stock of the day, Meyer, uh, both John and Andrew saying no. Um, Illumina, um, it's an exciting hole from both of them, <laughs> but uh, certainly John prefers uh, BHP or, or Rio if you're going to get into that space. Blackmore's a hold from both of them. Um, if you've been in the company, for a while, they have got some pretty positive forecasts, so hang out for that, but they wouldn't be getting in if you're a new investor. Um, Oswide, uh, odds don't cover it. 
Um, um, Andrew likes it uh, as a banking stock, but would prefer another ETF, MVB, um, which is an ETF that covers the big four banks and then some of the big regional banks in there as well. That would give you better diversity. Uh, Rural Funds Group, uh, a yes from, um, from Andrew, who also likes elders as well. Odds don't cover it. And ETF Physical Gold, uh, a no from both. Um, they prefer to go into the, um, into the uh, gold mining stocks. They like Evolution or the newly merged um, Northern Star Saracen. All right, let's take a look um, at how our fantasy portfolio, the calls portfolio that's been going. We've been tracking it since the 1st of July, thanks to our, our partner, NAB Trade. Any stock that gets two thumbs up from our, um, uh, from our panel goes into the calls portfolio. If the stock comes up again in a future panel, and no matter who's on it, if it doesn't get unanimous uh, buy on it, it comes out of it. So uh, uh, if we take a look on how it's been going for the week down one and a quarter percent for the month down two percent since the 1st of July, up 23 percent. Some of the uh, stocks that have been included by our expert panel recently, Dragon Tail Systems, uh, Vista Group, IDP Education, Integral Diagnostics and Qantas. Some of the ones removed, uh, 40S Memory, A2 Milk and Thorny Technologies. If you want to check out all the stocks in our fantasy portfolio, head to osbiz.co forward slash portfolio. And uh, make sure you stay watching as we're joined by the Chief Executive of Potash, uh, Matt Shackleton. Um, as the company gets started on its mining project in Western Australia, he's going to Give the team an update at 1.40 Eastern Daylight Time this afternoon, straight after the call. All right, let's get uh, into our second five stocks on the call that we get through in the next half an hour. And Andrew Sam wants a view on WiseTech, the big uh, global developer of cloud-based solutions for international and domestic logistics industries. This is sort of one of their, their big software packages is, is a cargo logistic management our package is probably their biggest one. Uh, the company has um, over 17,000 logistics clients uh, organisations signed up around the world in 150 countries. As I like to say, the founder of it um, in his past life uh, was the roadie for ACDC <laughs> and looked after all the logistics when they went on tour in his big uh, spreadsheet. And uh, as a result, has got into logistics. Uh, part of so it. it's it's yeah it's improved just a little bit since then, but uh, yes. uh, you know, he's, <laughs> but he's certainly got a, a a good heritage if we can put it that way. Yep. Um, but yeah, look, I, I I don't mind this business. Um, probably the key concern is, and it's it's been from day one, is the fact that the PE is a hundred times. So it is absolutely eye-watering. I mean, the forecast earnings growth next year, 2022, is 79 percent. And in 2023, it's about 43%. So really strong earnings growth coming through. But do you want to pay 100 times for that? That's really the seminal question here. Uh, recently, uh, you know, John was just talking before about uh, Rural Funds Group being targeted by a short seller. Uh, similarly, WiseTech has been as well. I don't think it's actually gone away. I still think that's still sort of, uh, they're batting and bowling away there. Um, the CEO quite recently has actually been selling down holdings. Now, arguably, that's to actually build liquidity because there was just very hard to actually get set in this sort of business, like from an institutional point of view. He still owns 41%, so he's still got a material holding in there. 
Uh, I'm probably a hold on this one, Kosh. Not because I don't like the business. I've liked the business from about four or five bucks. I just can't bring myself to pay a hundred times. But if, as we've seen, if there's that chance for a pullback, you talked about your little wish list of when things, go, you know, things go a bit a little bit pear-shaped. That would be on that list, but not at mm. sort of twenty-seven bucks because mm. consensus is also about twenty-seven bucks at the moment. Okay. Uh, yeah, I broadly agree with um, Andrew on that one, David. I think you know it's a it's a really interesting business. They've clearly delivered. They've got some strong forecasts, as Andrew rightly says. Yeah. It is expensive, and mm. it's it's really hard to justify, you know, bang the table on this one and say buy it around these sort of these sort of levels. Even though it has delivered in terms of some of those expectations and forecasts, um, to which they should be congratulated for um, clearly. And that, and they're very acquisitive on new businesses, aren't they? They sort of grown by. By acquisition, that's right. Largely too. That's right. That's, that's part of the, the strategy or the, the talking points from the short seller about you know are we getting a transparent set of accounts across yes. them those sort of things. There's certainly no question about that in our mind, but but not with well, that, that we are getting the transparency. Yes, we are. Right. We, are yep. we are. So yep. I I think you know as a shareholder, if you've been there from early days, you'd be you know ecstatically pleased and you'd be you know rubbing your hands together and yep. applauding um, the CEO and 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 the group overall. Yep. So but but here it gets very difficult. I'm, yep. I'm with Andrew. Yeah, and I must admit um, that short seller who really did question the governance and transparency of the organisation did have a point um, at the time and I think the company reacted well to it by fixing a lot of that up because it was was almost you got a sense that it was um, a founder who was finding it a bit hard to... um, get that support of what a listed company is all about in terms of regulation, transparency, mm. yep. governance, all yep. a decent board with governance capabilities on it yep. and things like that. And, and they had moved to address that, haven't they? That's right. I think it's always, it can be a trap for some businesses when they come and become a public company yeah. and with a really strong founder. Because who, you've been an entrepreneur for so long and then all of a sudden you become public. And, and accountable yep. for, to, to all the different bodies that you have to you know, mention to, um, what, yep. what's going on inside the business and report in a certain fashion, etc., and make, make yep. certain obligations for the ASX. And so I'm not suggesting that's, I'm certainly not suggesting that's happening here, but, but clearly know, it, but it, was, it was a question. I'm saying yep. they took it on board. Yes, yes. Uh, and I, but just as, because I, I think it's such a great story mm. behind it. I'm, mm. I'm, I'm not invested in it, but I, mm. I take an interest in it. And I thought, oh, they actually did make some changes mm. to show yep. the market that yep. they are transparent. Yeah, I didn't uh, know the roadie story either. Thank you for that. Yeah, yeah, no, <laughs> it's um, only because my brother-in-law used to be uh, the manager of ACDC. Oh. So, and <laughs> he knew Richard from way back then. He said it's certainly changed a lot from the old. Um, and I said, uh, how difficult would it be to um, organise a tour of ACDC? And he said, you just think about it. Mm. They had sort of, when they went through America, he was saying a fleet of 25 uh, major semi-trailers mm. taking piggybacking each other, mm. so it's a massive logistic mm, exercise. Yeah. All right, a um, uh, bit distracted then, so we'll get back onto the stocks. Uh, Steve <laughs> um, Steve wants a view, John, on a, uh, a fintech, relatively um, newly listed, uh, called Doe. Um, it's a, a SaaS model, a, a platform for uh, software package for financial wellness for, for customers. Uh, you can do smart banking, um, has a MasterCard debit card attached to it. 
Uh, what do you think of Doe? Yeah, it's certainly an interesting business. Again, yeah. it's, it's only relatively recent, as you say, and we yeah. don't have any coverage of it in terms of research sense. But, but still, there's you know what's not to like about a personal um, budgeting platform and an yeah. app that can certainly help customers and consumers you know manage their finances better across yeah. um, their, their household. So, I, I haven't seen the chart unless you've got one yeah, up yeah. for it. But, uh, but you know, it's interesting. But I, I, it's hard for me to push it in the client's portfolio. Yeah, their, their first. First up, had a bit of a spike yeah. up and then uh, ahead of the result, the result came out because uh, the company reported a, a first half loss um, of 5.4 million compared with 739 loss in the previous corresponding period. Um, so that sort of rattled the market about. Um, what do you think of, uh, of Doe, Andrew? It's a great name, if nothing yeah. else, they're, they're pretty clever. So it actually was bought out of Ziptel, so it was sort of like one of these sort of uh, reverse uh, takeovers for the want of a better term. And yeah. they did a capital raising at the princely sum of three cents. So if Gordon brings that chart back up, here's one we prepared earlier. Is he paying attention? No. Um, it uh, got to about, uh, or is it now, 19 cents. There we go. Uh, so three cents is when the capital raising was done. So if you participated in that capital raising in September, you wouldn't exactly be crying into your beer today. Um, interesting business, Koshi, in the context that, so they have a, an app. You download the app, 29,000, it's US based, 29,000 people have downloaded this app. 8,000 of them chose to become customers. So that's a pretty strong conversion rate. And as you're saying, it's sort of, uh, you get signed up for a credit card and a bank account. And what they're doing, dare I say, it's a little bit creepy, but you know they're doing it, is they're actually analysing all your spending. So if hmm. you don't want someone giving you some feedback as to you shouldn't be doing Netflix or whatever, then this is not the product for you. <laughs> but in the context of actually trying to help people, they're saying, look, you know, I need help with my finances. Hmm. It's a great product. They're clipping the ticket. With that credit card, they get some interchange fees. I think they, what did they get? I didn't write it down, but I think they got about 800000 in sort of those right. credit card fees. So they've done pretty well. Um, founder owns 53%, so they're aligned, but there is a lot of execution risk on this. So I'm, I'm, I'm a watchful hold, but it's certainly <laughs> conceptually interesting business. Rather than a exciting hold, it's <laughs> a watchful hold. Correct. Um, and correct. they just bought another app as well, Goodman's. Um, yes, which has one and a half million. Yeah, brings thirteen thousand customers to that. It's a really interesting market. I was a seed investor in Pocketbook, which was the first of oh, these yeah. apps that eventually uh, got bought by Zip. So I ended up getting Zip yeah, shares yeah, yeah. for um, when they got bought out. It's fascinating because they use AI to um, uh, monitor your spending and give you hints when you get out of control but also has the ability if they know your car repayments are coming up or your car insurance is coming up to give you offers um, mm. before you, you renew your insurance and things like that. So it's really getting inside their customers' mm. financial well-being and giving them suggestions. So it's an interesting area. Um, all right, um, Andrew Patrick wants a view on Forbidden Foods. Now, Patrick says it's a stock so this is what Patrick says, uh, is flying under the radar, but appears a pretty nice little business with good deals announced over the last couple of months. So obviously Patrick, Patrick has an interest in it. <laughs> uh, it operates in the food and beverage industry. Um, it's in organic foods, healthy snacks, baby foods, and the whole lot. And uh, has just opened a store on Tmall, the uh, 
the big Chinese online shopping centre, if you like. Yeah, backed by Alibaba, the not yep. the company, the the mall. Um, yeah, look, interesting name in itself, Forbidden Foods. Triple F is the code. I thought, gee, we're off to a good start here, <laughs> but then it sort of all sort of started falling away from then. Um, I mean, this Funch. Uh, F-U-N-C-H, uh, baby food, as you said, they're selling through Alibaba, they've got a deal with Sigma Pharmacies, uh, also selling through baby bunting, so it's all great. Um, financials just look dreadful, but if you look at what they're actually doing, they've gone and pumped uh, a whole heap of inventory, I think it's about two million bucks worth of inventory, into the system to try and make these sales. So if they can make the sales, then happy days. Uh, but if they can't, then it's probably not going to be such a happy ending for them. So they're, they're doing all the right things, you know, baby food, China, you know, like it ticks all the boxes, but it really now comes down to execution risk and customer demand. So they're burning a lot of cash. I think last quarter they burned about 1.9 million. They got about 3 million left. So they really do need to sell this inventory over the next couple of quarters. Otherwise, I suspect there might be a capital raising on the horizon. Okay, so not for you? No. Okay. John? Not really for me either, but I, I think it's only recently listed in the last uh, 12 months yep. or so. Yep. Kicked off at 20 cents, back to back to 20 cents, had a, an exciting run up to 36 cents or so on the back of some of the, the enthusiasm that Patrick's showing in his commentary today. Yep. Um, but the results out most recently were a little disappointing and I think the market's just you know, peeled the stock back a bit touched. But right. I think there's other ways you can get exposure to some of those those points of, of difference in terms of brands, maybe not Blackmores, but you know, certainly yep. like A2 Milk and those types of things, which are, are much more successful and, and have got some really strong cash flows and have a proven track record as well. Okay, all right. Um, John, Peter wants a view on uh, Meso, Meso Blast, mm -hmm. um, that um, has just come back onto the markets after a big capital raising, $110 million. <coughs> so they, they can uh, push through their uh, um, FDA approvals for uh, Meso Blast also rode the COVID mm. sort of tail for quite a while mm. as well. It's a biotech, what do you see? Well, again, it's not what we cover, sadly, but um, I think, you know, clearly the, the capital raising is a, is a net positive for them. Um, you know, it's gone to a, a group that specialises in biotech raisings and biotech holdings. So that's, yep. a, that's an encouragement that some specialist in the field sees something in the business to, to throw $130 million odd dollars at. Um, it was clearly needed. Um, yep. It's a stock that's been around for a long time, been much higher. It's, it's obviously peeled back with some of the most recent results as well. Um, you know, some had some great success with some trials, but some disappointment during the back half of yeah. last year where they couldn't meet some of the, the, um, the hurdles that they'd set themselves, which is a bit disappointing and saw the stock um, peel off a bit. I think it's an interesting comparison. You know, the registry is really tight. There's only about uh, the top 10 own about 32% of the group. Right. So it's, it's, and of course the founder yeah. um, is a large holder too. So. Um, I think you compare it to say something like race oncology where they only have three specialist products and three specialist areas um, which have had recent change of management yeah. and still got, still had the same three things originally but now the management's changed they've actually had a, a really important improvement um, in the way the business is run and and the distribution of and of their um, drugs and, and pharmaceutical products and I think that's really important so right. you know Mesobus has a lot of different products across its suite of offerings. Yeah. But the more ta more targeted ones, like race, for instance, probably make it a little bit easier to get the distribution right and um, you know the the, sell the selling right too. Okay, all right, Andrew. Oh, Koshi, if you're into roller roller coasters, this is one for you. <laughs> uh, anywhere in the last twelve months between a dollar ten and five bucks. 
So if you're a trader, buckle up. Uh, this is for you, but you know, Andrew the Boring, favorite ice cream flavor is vanilla. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's probably a bit too exciting for me. And in particular, and I, I should have this in front of me, I'm sorry, but I'm pretty sure the auditor was a, a wee bit concerned about their cash holdings, which is sort of one of the reasons why they've gone and got this new strategic investor in place. Mm. Um, having said that, they've got a couple of things in front of the FDA, the, the US Food and Drug Administration, over the next sort of three to six months. Now, if any one of these come off, it's certainly going to be positive for them. And as we just said, they've raised $110 million, uh, there, or $110 US. So they're um, basically trading below consensus. It's about 10% below consensus. So if you're looking for a punt, you like a bit of excitement in your life, then this is one for you. But you know, if it ends in tears, don't say we didn't tell you, because uh, there's certainly plenty of moving parts on this one. Okay. Um, and it's one of, one of those companies and stocks that um, it's all about the story, is it, um, yep. Andrew, that, that the story runs the price up and often, there are binary outcomes. You know, we're just about to finish stage two of FDA approval, so it runs up, and if the um, approval results are disappointing, it drops like a stone. Oh, 100%, you know, we referenced earlier Reddit-style companies or, you know, yep. internet forum-type companies, you know, case in point. Yep. Uh, it's either gonna do really, really well or really, really, really badly. And I don't mean any disrespect to them, it's the nature no. of that style of business. There's mm. plenty of other biotechs out there that do exactly the same thing. That's why for my biotech exposure, I buy Cure, which is an ETF that holds 80 of them. <laughs> so I'm not sort of trying to pick, of do. I'm not trying to pick one of them because this, the space itself is exciting and big, big picture, all the things they're involved in, mm. you know, pediatric inflammation, all that sort of stuff, absolute need for it but you really at the pointy end, if you still want exposure, but perhaps don't want that right. sort of risk, then perhaps a more diversified approach and, might be the way to go. And the ETF's called Cure. Cure, it's a ripper. It's one of my oh, favorites. Great name. <laughs> Why do you think I like ETFs, Koshi? You know, you might think it's for diversification. It's just the name. Some of them yeah. are amazing. Like, <laughs> I mean, Hack, I love Hack. Hack's a great one. Uh, there's a there's a clean energy one coming out soon. Uh, Beta shares have got a sustainable one. Earth. I mean, as I was saying, to, as I was saying to our mate Henry Jennings, my ideal job is to be the guy that or you know like the person that sort of comes up with ETF names. If I could just do that in the codes, I'd be a happy person. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You should patent them. All right, our final stock. Andrew Damien wants a view on Ardent Leisure, the the owner and operator of big leisure and entertainment assets across Australia and the US there in uh, theme parks. Of course, uh, Dreamworld is their uh, um, uh, the biggest name and probably the most controversial one over the last couple of years. Uh, but also they have entertainment centers in America as well. What do you think of Arden? So Koshi, you and I spoke about this one in November and I said it was an avoid at 70 cents and where are we today? 60 cents and yeah. my view hasn't changed. Um, and the reason being, as you said, and there's obviously those issues they've been working through, those traumatic events at, at Dreamworld, um, but even parking that for a moment, which we can't, but in the context of sort of broader issues, COVID is impacting them, yeah. their debt load is a concern, uh, they're not expecting a profit till at least 2022. So yeah, I'm still I'm still out on this one. I'm sorry. Okay. 
John? Yeah, a bit, a bit the same for us, really. I think, you know, it really, forgive the pun, but it's a bit of a wild ride for them, isn't it? You know, it's a dip, it's a, and they are at the pointy end of COVID, yeah. you know, where all of the theme parks have, haven't been functioning properly, much, way below capacity where they could be opened, of course. Yeah. And it's very see, difficult. Lots to, of other stocks have risen um, as an opening play, the opening theme, sort of the, uh, particularly the travel stocks, mm. hotels, I notice. Uh, the cruise lines in America have been going through the roof this last mm. week. Cunard and yep. uh, Carnival, and Carnival and all of those. Oh, yep. um, why wouldn't this be an opening? I think for, from our perspective, it's really the, the, it's a good point you make. We're look, looking at the travel sector and the reopening yeah. sector, and we, we're focusing back on groups like corporate travel and the, right. and, and the likes of not so much Flight Centre because they've got a difficult road ahead, but, yeah. but you know, corporate travel's in a good position to open up. The vaccine's being rolled out much faster across the, you know, certainly through the likes of England and yeah. certainly now is accelerating here too as well. So that's a couple, that's one that we right. certainly like. Um, I, it's, so, it's, a balance, so, it's probably a balance sheet issue for us, really. Right, yeah. Anything. So and I was going to say, like Andrew was saying, level of debt or, you know, yep, it's, yep. it's got a lot of hurdles apart from re reopening will be good, but it's yep. got some financial hurdles yep, as well. exactly. Okay. Um, let's recap the final five stocks from, uh, from Andrew and John. Uh, Wise Tech is a hold from both of them. Uh, Doe is a... Uh, watchful hold from uh, from Andrew. Uh, odds don't cover it. Forbidden Foods, no from both Andrew and John. Uh, Mesoblast, uh, a no from both. But Andrew saying if you if you want to punt um, and you, know, you lose your dough, you've been told. Um, but if you want to punt, it's an exciting area. But if the whole sector um, appeals to you, there is an ETF called Cure. Um, is that the code to it? That could be a, a way of having a bat, uh, an interest in a in a diversified batch of companies in this sector. Uh, and Ardent Leisure both uh, say a no. It's got just too many headwinds. Andrew Whelan from uh, DP Wealth Advisory. Uh, good to see you. Anything exciting at the Empire Theatre in Toowoomba this weekend? You had what did you have last week Fleetwood Mac. Yeah, well, the Fleetwood Mac experience and Jamie Dunn. Uh, oh, experience, so yeah. <laughs> experience. Uh, no, we, we announced this week that John Butler's coming to the theatre on Whoa. March the 13th. So uh, if you're a John Butler fan, get here. Uh, then we've got John Williamson in April, and I was just seeing uh, that we've got Human Nature in May. So And a whole lot of other things going on, but certainly oh, John Butler's okay. probably the big one uh, coming up. He's a good salesman for He's the Empire. They've good. got all of those and a whole lot more coming up. He's, and a set of steak knives, no. <laughs> uh, Andrew, good to see you. Uh, John Milroy from Ords, good to have you aboard. Thank you. Now, um, if you'd like to suggest any stocks to put towards our panel, just email them in the call at osbiz.com.au and uh, don't get impatient with us. We go, uh, a lot of people send in suggestions. So if we take a little time to get through them. We often try and clump them all together into common stocks, but uh, if there's a, a different one, uh, be patient with us. Um, you can see all the stocks in the calls portfolio, head to osbiz.co forward slash portfolio. Uh, coming up on the Startup Daily uh, show today, the team looks at companies seeking to raise capital and all the news in the startup sector. Lisa Andrews from Singularity U Australia uh, is gonna run us through the startups um, um, their startup, which is for uh, graduating from the Accelerator program. That's coming up on the Startup Daily Show. Lisa and 
whole lot more in terms of venture capital, private equity and the like. So a lot happening this afternoon on Ausbiz. We'll be back after the break. Protect your dream home with American Family Insurance. And you can weather any storm. You'll also save up to 25% by bundling home, auto, and life. American Family Insurance. Get a quote. Find an agent at AmFam.com. Products not available in every state. Discounts may not apply to all coverages on an auto or home policy. Discounts do not apply to life insurance policies. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating companies, American Family Life Insurance Company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin.